Welcome to iPhone. Welcome, everybody. This is I4O coming at you with episode 51, uh, the big 5-1, just one after the golden anniversary of the podcast. Um, I am joined today by none other than the illustrious Jeff Budzinski. How's it going? It's going great, Matt. How's it going for you? It's good. It's good. It's good to have you back and good to talk to another Pixel owner about Google I.O. <laughs> All the stuff that happened you know, over the past week. It was an, a legitimate struggle for me not to be on last week's episode. I wanted to be so badly, <laughs> especially since well, Irvin was back. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's some good discussions that were had. Um, but now we get to cover the event in its entirety. So you get the, the, the business end of Google I.O. You get all <laughs> of the fun stuff that came out of it. So, um, well, yeah, um, also... For just a couple of quick updates before we jump into the news for our Twitch owners, you'll see that, or for our Twitch followers, you'll see that we now have uh, a nice little uh, UI going on down at the bottom with um, estimated schedules. So it'll be easier for you guys to know when we're going live. Um, I may add a, a couple more things just to improve efficiency on it, but you know, it's a, it's a growing process. But yeah, so let's jump straight into the news. Um, this week, obviously, Google I.O. happened, and we covered it in our last broadcast earlier in the week. But what we did not have a chance to talk about was Google's digital well-being uh, initiative. So this is a movement that is driven, ironically, by one of the largest data collection companies in the world to help you understand your smartphone habits and usage and focus on um, ways to get away from your smartphone um, which seems like a, a bit of a a push in the opposite direction of what a data collection company might want you to do. But um, it's nice to know that there is a attention being given to making people focus on their actual lives instead of being sucked into their smartphones all the time. Absolutely. I think this, <laughs> this is going to be cool to see too. I mean, maybe frightening for a lot of people, including myself. Mm -hmm. um, but it would be interesting to see just how much time I'm spending looking through social media apps or uh, news sources and messaging services and what have you. Because if I bet you, if you look at how much, what, what percent or what amount of time of your day you're spending sending messages to people, it's going to be absurd. You're going to realize yeah. you're not even looking up most of the day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, Google does have something similar to this, but it's more for just your account called like their activity monitor and it shows you like what apps you used and they've, they've had something very similar to this available online for a while but right. the difference between that and this is and i think we might have hinted on it um, when we heard the initial reports of it earlier in the week but um they had a it has a monitoring of how much you use your phone and the various apps in your phone and um there's a new feature that they're going to be adding where you can set custom timers on usage for various apps. And um, whenever you hit one of those uh, limits, it would actually gray out the app icon. So that way it's like, hey, don't use this. You've used this for three hours today. Uh, you probably should stop. So it's kind of like a, a visual cue to be like, hey, this app's been pretty well used today. You might want to move on and pay attention to the real world that's definitely so, interesting <laughs> yeah yeah it's a cool feature and um that comes at the the heels of a huge conference for google io and 
um i got the list up currently in the the web feed i'll transition over to that so you can see it um, there is a ton of updates that happen both in android um, in various google products that will be coming out later this year um, so one thing that i didn't get a chance to talk about and we heard about after the last broadcast and i'm curious to your thoughts on this um, they are actually going to be creating a pixel branded smartwatch and a second generation of the pixel buds um, i feel like it's a little bit soon for the second gen pixel buds but a pixel branded smartwatch is kind of it's it's that'll be interesting i'm curious as to the feature set that'll have yeah, and if maybe that would convince you to buy a smartwatch, I think it might because that's kind of what I've been waiting for. I don't know much about smartwatches in general, mm -hmm. and admittedly, I like the simplicity of Google products. So I think yeah. that that might be a nice avenue for me to take, depending on the price point, depending on the features, of course. But having a, a Pixel Two XL and being a Pixel Buds user, I'm imagining that having all three might be, you know, as appealing as it might be to have an iPhone with uh, the new AirBuds and an Apple Watch. it's mm -hmm. It just works together well, so. Yeah, and it's, I have the LG Watch Sport, which I think last year around when the Pixel and Pixel 2 and all that were around uh, brand new, they that was the unofficial Google smartwatch and that one had features such as like Android Pay associated with it um heart heart rate monitoring and all that fitness stuff so um it's nice to have a watch with all that stuff but having owned a few smartwatches now um it's not something that if i left my house without it i missed it all that much if that makes sense mm -hmm. so um smartwatches are it's for someone who would take advantage of those products and I like it. It's nice to have. It's nice to be able to check my notifications, but um, it's not like one of those necessary pieces of technology. So I'm right. curious if they're going to be making any updates in order to change that story a little bit to make it a little bit more of something that would be beneficial to have with you throughout your day and how they would do that. Because I don't even know what they would have to do in order to in order to keep me coming back to a smartwatch. I would think that they're, like you were kind of hitting at, um, in, in general, the public's hitting at is a large, um, large Google Assistant-based uh, like features. So basically that you could you know, give vocal commands to have the Assistant do things for you that otherwise would cause you to pull out your phone and go through a multitude of steps to do or even speak into your phone. It's just... Yeah. Yeah, and I'm curious to see how they'll blend the assistant with the smartwatch because that yeah. that I think is going to be like you're saying, kind of like their their ticket for getting something to actually work well with smartwatches. It's a, um, it's a huge push in general right now too, is assistant branding. So yeah, yeah, and it was there was a huge focus of this last I/O too. Right, um, they're blending it into literally everything. Um, there's that new Google Duplex, and I don't know if you had a chance to. Um, see that at all but where they yeah. had the google assistant call a hair salon oh and yes book, and book an appointment yeah I didn't, um, I didn't know it by name but i've been talking about this <laughs> yeah they did that and then they had one try to book a reservation for a restaurant and answered some pretty tough questions um 
dealt with a lot of an uphill fight there. But... Do you have any nut allergies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if anybody hasn't um, listened to it, I encourage you to either check out our last episode on that where I played an audio snippet from the phone call or um, watch any of the various videos that are covering this online for understanding just what Google Duplex is and what it might mean for the future of voice technology. But um, yeah, aside from the Assistant and the Pixel Watches, there are some updates to Android TV. Um, there's the Android P Developer Preview 2, which is very smooth for a, a beta. Um, I haven't had a single app crash or uh, hiccup with the device software yet. So it's been very smooth on my end. Um, and also there's been a couple of products that are going to be launching some of the Google Home devices that have screens made by Lenovo and uh, LG, other third-party companies, which is pretty cool. So they're going to be competing more directly with Amazon and the Echo Show. Um, there's the JBL Link Bar. Have you seen that, by the way? I have not. Um, it's a sound bar that's made by JBL, obviously, mm -hmm. and it's got an Android TV built into it that interfaces on top of all of the HDMI ports that are in that soundbar. So there's three HDMI ports that are on the soundbar itself with one going to the television. And you can plug all of your devices into the soundbar and um, it will push them to your television, but it will also interface with the Android TV and the assistant will overlay everything that's showing on your TV. Hmm. So it's like a way to integrate it into yeah. your your home theater, which is pretty cool. That is definitely cool. Um, so that'll be released later this year. Um, new Chrome OS updates. Uh, yeah, there's uh, then there's a bunch of updates to Google's various products like Google News and Gmail. And um, I installed Google News at the beginning of the week, and I've used it kind of as my daily news app over the past week, and it is better than any other news app that I've used so far. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah. The the full coverage um, option that's available is really really convenient in getting different news sources because it pulls from all the major news publications on both sides of the political spectrum, so you kind of get the full story. And it, um, and the cool thing is, is that like if you're checking up on something um that breaks in the morning and then you check back in on your news and you check up on that story again um, the top of the full coverage for that article will be anything that developed between you last looking at that article which is pretty cool so like if it's um like a storm it'll update it on if the storm ended or um, where it hit etc so Google's working on some pretty cool stuff and it's exciting to see where they're going with this. And um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing some of these products release and maybe even trying them out and trying, uh, trying them out ourselves. Definitely. Live tweeting that keynote again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, so that's Google IO in a nutshell. Um, we'll have a couple of articles in the show notes for you guys to check out. And um, yeah, I encourage anybody who has not had a chance to see that um, to go and take a look at some of these links that we have up here so you can get a look for yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, 
but yeah i think that's there's one more article that i wanted to cover um and it's less of an article and more of just something that i wanted to bring up on the show um so we covered facebook and we've covered abuses of data um like equifax and um all these other companies but we never really talked about the whole idea of if you're not paying for a service then you are by definition the product that is being sold Mm -hmm. um and something that many people wouldn't initially think of is Gmail, for example, and Google. And we're on this podcast, we're quick to support Google and be excited about Google product releases. And you and I both have a Pixel. We both have Pixel Buds. Like it's something that like we're almost fully engrossed into the walled garden that is Google. Um, but not many people talk about Google in a way where they're wary of what they're getting themselves into. And because this, this company's whole MO is collecting data and implementing machine learning into as many things as possible. And one of those things is Gmail. Um, and a lot of people use Gmail. And if you are a Gmail user, um, just as a public service announcement, Google does scan every single email that comes in and out of your gmail account and they run it through machine learning programs to better service you um and i don't i don't know i just wanted to start a conversation on it just because it's something that we like we don't talk about google we talk about facebook and all these other companies right but, and i yeah. think that a lot of your most private information is sent via gmail if you are a user as opposed to maybe a facebook message which is more of a casual conversation um, a lot of the important things in your lives are exchanged via email, whether it be um, you know, a, a private message to your family, a message to maybe someone who um, you work with on a regular basis and those things about your financial or uh, professional life. And it's just something, it's, it's kind of like a, a different realm of personal information. And to know that a company as big as Google, as powerful as Google, um, who collects and you know aggregates data for whatever means and they they say that it's for detecting spam and malware um, and helping customize search results but you know really who knows what they're doing with it um, <laughs> yeah they originally were using it um, to sell to third party mm-hmm. um, to third parties in order to generate ad revenue off of your gmail um they had recently said that they were going to stop doing that but it's important to note that the the verbiage around that is still in the terms of service so they are still collecting your data off of your email um and i have a, an article up in in the stream and there's a quote that says uh and stein told nbc that Google may analyze email content to customize search results, better detect spam and malware, um, which is a practice that the company first announced back in 2012. Mm -hmm. Uh, So while that sounds good, um, this, it, it, it doesn't fully detail the full scope of what they collect. And it says 
This includes information like your usage data and preferences, Gmail messages, G plus profile, photos, videos, browsing history, map searches, docs, other Google hosted content. Um, so like anything you do on Google is collected and used by Google in machine learning. So it's just a, a PSA that I thought was good to bring up just to remind people that these products that they use are owned by a company who's it was and it's in their financial best interest to use your data to make money so and collects a just, massive amount of data maybe the most massive amount of data if i'm not mistaken um arguably yeah yeah and there's very little sign that they ever get rid of it so yeah yeah and um in the chat he's asking a very interesting question but to answer that um Assuming if it goes through your photos, then yes, it probably would scan those in, too. In all honesty, I believe it would, and it would store yeah. those. So that comes off as a joke, but it's not. It's, it's, really it's not, not a joke. If you yeah, actually think, do. do you want to discuss what this is about? Because there has been relevant news on this in the past. Uh, go for it. I'm all, I'm all ears. So this is a question about um, private images that people send to each other. Um, there's there's slang terms for these, but it's um, you know pictures you wouldn't want the general public to get a hold of. Yeah. And if you guys remember, I think it was just a few years ago that there was a giant iCloud breach, and regular Joes um, and also like A-list celebrities had their iCloud accounts hacked, and there were pictures such as these that were private. In their nature not meant to be seen by the public or anyone other than their intended recipients and those pictures were released into the internet and then dispersed and now there's no way to get them back and those private photos um, are out there so if Google is storing things like this too you not only run the risk of someone that works at Google seeing them but if by some chance there's a breach of Google servers they could very well be released onto the web as well yep Yep. So it's basically a matter of just know what you're putting out there and yep. be careful with it. Yeah. Um, make sure you keep your private images, like um, photos of secret formulas and stuff, to a minimum, um, or else someone might get a hold of them and distribute them on the internet. Secret so. formulas. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think of an easier way to word that. Yeah. Um, sure. But yeah. So it's it's just a PSA, just a, a friendly I4O service reminder to make sure that you know where you're putting your data. And mm -hmm. um, if you're concerned about this, maybe consider some other options, um, some third-party email options, some third-party voice chat options. Um, this is a really weak segue into the next topic, um, <laughs> which is a Mozilla project called Common Voice. Um, this is a third-party open-sourced uh, natural voice um, program much in the same way that the Google Assistant and Google Duplex and all these things that we've talked about, Siri, Alexa, everything, you name it. Um, it's a project that's being worked on by the Mozilla team. And anybody who is familiar with Mozilla products um, has been aware of the fact that they are focusing more on open source and other consumer and other companies uh firefox i'm pretty sure is an open source project mm -hmm. um and now common voices so 
um, anybody who would like to contribute to this, uh, and I'm always a proponent for open source solutions to solving problems. Um, this would be something I think that would be super helpful in getting voice processing technology more transparent and accessible to uh, any consumers who might be looking to implement some kind of a voice technology. Um, but yeah, that's that's a kind of a quick article that I wanted to bring up. Um, just just to just to kind of go off of the last topic, saying that while there are these really flashy and sexy first-party programs, there are third-party open-source options that are out there um, for anybody who would for even anything, anything from email to voice clients. So, just something to consider. Um, Great. Yeah. Um, so, is this yeah, moving on? Yeah, what were we gonna say? Go ahead. No, I, I had a question about that project actually. Oh. This is this involved user like if I were to participate, would it involve my voice input or is this just um, validating that output from a computer generated voice? Um, I'm not sure. I, I think this. So if I click on this link here, um, seems like it might have been the latter. But it says contribute your voice as well. Yeah. So I kind of so it looks. It looks like this is just mass collecting aggregate voice recordings so they can train their program off of various different inflections and accents and languages this tap to record then read the above sentence aloud so yeah it looks like they're just kind of crowdsourcing your voice to make a computer generated voice speak in mm -hmm. a more like uniform matter i guess yeah what i'm wondering is if there's any um personally identifiable information tied to that voice recording Believe it or not, I'm not sure. Since we're on the topic of data privacy and collection, um, not that you know. For example, if you want some samples of Matt or my voice, you can download our podcast and get those very easily. But mm -hmm. for most people, you can't do that so easily. This might be a way where that could happen. And just the the matter while we're on the matter of privacy, it's something worth commenting on that that might be stored in that manner. Yeah, no, definitely, and. They do give you the option on this to create a profile, and it says, by providing some information about yourself, the audio data you submit to Common Voice will be more useful to speech recognition engines that use this data to improve their accuracy. So it looks like the data collection on this is more voluntary than not. Yes. Um, I'm assuming this there probably would be some cookie that's collected in the background that has some kind of information about where you came from to click this link, et cetera. Um, wouldn't it be probably par for the course for websites at this point? Wouldn't it be mind blowing if they collected enough on each? You know, they could record the device or the user even, and then when that user goes to a site where it needs playback that's computer generated, it used your own voice to read it to you. That would be weird. <laughs> yes, I, I wouldn't like that at all. That's Neither would fun. I. But that is the future that could be coming. It is. Yeah, it is, and it's going to be interesting to see when people try to stick assistance into as many things as possible and different voice accents, because I know um, like you were saying with having your voice, for example, that could totally be a thing. You could totally, once it gets good enough, train your own voice model to have your voice as an assistant. And because right now with the previous Google IO, they are launching six new assistant voices. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them is actually a recording of John legend. So you can actually have John legend, be your google assistant <laughs> he can help me become so, all of me yeah <laughs> so it's very 
it's it's becoming more accessible to have customizable assistant voices. I wonder what implications that would have on like your follow through with the requests or maybe reminders from your assistant if it was your own voice, because your internal monologue, so to speak, maybe dialogue if you're debating something, um, tends to lead to more results, I would think. So mm -hmm. if, if your calendar was to say you're supposed to go fill up your car with gas or I don't know, that's just a dumb example. But if you hear yourself tell you that, you might be more inclined to go do it because it's like hearing yeah. it in your own head. Yeah. It's <laughs> like have your own voice like, wake up. Right. Wake up. <laughs> I would actually love that because I have some things to say to my asleep self to get them to wake up. <laughs> yeah. You do this every day. Wake up. <laughs> it's even worse until like, what if like you're in the situation where like the house becomes like a 2001 a space odyssey where it's like your own voice though it's like i'm sorry jeff i can't do that <laughs> <laughs> locks you in your room with your smart locks oh no <laughs> uh. calls and books appoint all kinds of appointments with your voice <laughs> see that could be cool too that could be yeah. creepy though if it's not under your control yeah also um a follow-up on on that uh apparently after there was a lot of um backlash from the Google duplex demo of people saying that like, oh, cool. So now we have to trick humans or people have to guess whether they're talking to an AI or to another human. Um, but apparently the Google announced that this feature will announce itself to whoever it's calling. Right. So that way it's like, hey, look, um, this is a call brought to you by the Google Assistant or something like that. I, I guess so. if they, if you have to give it personally identifiable information in order to confirm that you wanted it to do that. I mixed feelings alone about that, but like, how can I, how can they tell that you aren't calling my doctor's office with an assistant trying to make me an appointment that I don't want? Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the kind of questions that come up here for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the validation behind the process? Like what's to stop someone from walking up to my Google home and being like, Hey, I need a doctor's appointment on right. Tuesday. And if they're like, between 10. This, what's your last name your birthday and the last four year social like do i want my google assistant to know those things yeah i don't know yeah i don't know either um this is the world we live in uh where frivolous uh data collection is everywhere and it's very very easy to um pass off your services to a third party so yeah it's the world we live in I mean, um, you know, there's laws in place for services that hold your credit card information for use in future purchases or things like that. I would imagine there would need to be some legislation in place for this kind of stuff before it can really be trusted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm not a, a fan of that. Yeah. And it's going to I'm going to need to see some like some of the background paperwork to it before I feel super comfortable with it um it's definitely cool to like try out but i don't know if i would, I would use something like that all the time just like, because yeah. of that implication yeah exactly so, it's too spooky for me can't do it <laughs> i would i would like to do it but oh yeah um maybe if mozilla voice gets um powerful enough then we'll see a solid competitor yeah um also random note before we leave google Apparently, the assistant's called Holly. So, the that's one for apparently scheduling? the name of the assistant for scheduling and things like that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a play off the word holiday or something like that. 
Not sure. But I wonder if they'll change the trigger word from okay to just Holly. So Yeah, or weird thought. Or instead of okay blank, it'll be okay Holly. Yeah. Um and just to answer a, a question in the chat that I saw. Um Harjo is asking how well the voice detection of different people is working with the Google Home. And for me at least, it's worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um I had a I was like me and my girlfriend both have one in, in our room and I was using it to uh like check my calendar and then she said the same thing and then it was like, Oh, I don't know what voice this is. Um it's like you're gonna have to register your voice with the Google Home app in order for it to be tailored to your voice or then it's like or try speaking louder or whatever. Um so it's it's pretty good. Um I haven't had much uh of the I haven't had much same gendered tests with various people, but it can't it can't tell the difference between my voice and Urban's voice. Um so that's important. That's that is a good point though being made in the chat. I mean the where the question came from is that you'd need to dictate to your assistant that you'd like to make that appointment. And then because it recognizes your voice, it knows it can do so. Mm-hmm. So it's like that, a verbal cue. Or maybe I'd also imagine that, um, you know, unlocking your device, whether it be fingerprint or pass password, like pin code, um, that might also act as a permission to do so. Yeah. If or it's not, when you if do it, it on the phone, if it's not done verbally, maybe if you just press, maybe if a shortcut set up where it's go make mm-hmm. this appointment. I wonder if it's uh, if it's going to use the duplex service of kind of like with the Echo products, if it may make you enter a PIN in order to validate it. Because um, with the Echo products, they have you um, just say a PIN to the to it to validate that this is coming from you and this is an intended purchase. I mean, that makes if, sense, right? It's it, that's like bare bones. That's one factor authentication. So yeah, <laughs> it should they at, could least at least have do that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Google uh, voice detection for various users is actually, it's better than I thought it would be. Um, I have no idea how that technology works, but it's its cool that it works as well as it does. It does mess up sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, that sometimes is fewer and further between as more updates come to that device. And it gets better at listening to, like as you train the voice model, whether it's directly training it or indirectly training it just by using it. So. Um, but yeah, um, we can get we off Google. Move, what, yeah, we what? can get off of Google now. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, because we got to talk about Apple now because they're in some trouble. Um, Apple apparently now has a class action lawsuit against them over the faulty MacBook Pro keyboards from the latest generation models. So um, they're alleging that Apple knew of the defects but sold those keyboards anyway. Um, this because I think this was their generation two butterfly keys that they had um, the new ones that feel really weird I don't like them Uh, I prefer the older MacBook Pro keys personally Um, I don't know if I'm alone in that in the chat or if it's um, or if it's just a personal thing that I like but the new (laughs) butterfly keys are too there's like almost no travel on it and I don't like that it's Hmm. weird it's really. I don't know if you ever typed on one, but if not, you should go out to a store. Is that on? Is that on the model Urban has? Yes. Is that what he has? I yeah. I used them. Um, I honestly didn't pay too much attention to it, but I I like you. I like some travel on my keys when I type. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a mechanical keyboard on my desktop for that very reason. 
clicks and it's obnoxious, but it feels good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not a, I, I like a little bit of travel on my keys when definitely, typing. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so the uh, targets a number of MacBook Pro models manufactured after 2015 that feature the butterfly keyboard, which Apple had advertised as being refined for greater comfort and responsiveness. Um, but the filing alleges that thousands of owners of the device have experienced some kind of a failure as a result of the design. And uh, as we've seen in some articles that have come out over the past couple of weeks, uh, this is a rather difficult and expensive thing to repair. So uh, not exactly consumer friendly in that manner. Um, but yeah, so they, they first introduced the butterfly keyboard in 2015 with the release of the remodeled 12 inch macbook and this is just directly from the article um and then they ported the design to the macbook pro in 2016. um it's much thinner design as we talked about and they claimed it's four times more stable um which seems to be false <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how i i don't know how much i trust that but Apparently, they're alleging that Apple knew about this and shipped them anyway. So, um, could be. Maybe. I mean, yeah. The, maybe Urban will have a check coming in the mail. Maybe. I mean, the, the issues that they're seeing are the butterfly mechanism getting stuck so that mm -hmm. the key just won't work, um, or hearing high pitched sounds when pressing keys. So, I guess whatever their whatever that mechanism is for those butterfly keys. Um, emit some sort of sound which obviously is going to get old when you press so many keys so many times during the use of your macbook um yeah but uh more than eighteen thousand people were feeling this way about the butterfly keys so now there is a lawsuit yeah. at hand facing apple yeah and they said uh these are some pretty bad issues for any keyboard they said it's not uncommon for the butterfly mechanism to get stuck making the key unusable and they said the users have also reported hearing high-pitched sounds when pressing keys, uh, which is concerning, to say the least. I don't know if Irvin, I wish Irvin was on the show to, to vouch for this. I'm not sure if he experienced any of this, but um, we can get follow-up on him at some point. Yeah. If this story develops any further, we can report on his anecdotal experience. <laughs> um, my roommate also has one, too, so I could see if she's had any problems with it. Um but yeah, so they it claims that they're in breach of both express and implied warranty as well as violation of the Magnus Magnuson Moss and Song Beverly Consumer Warranty Acts um, and accuses Apple of fraudulent concealment for allegedly covering up the fact that it knew the keyboard suffering, suffering from such issues. So um, anybody who bought a new MacBook, you're probably going to get a check for a few bucks <laughs> in the mail over the next two or three years. So this is a it seems like another case of co tech companies wanting to get their products out the door so that they're out there versing uh, out facing their competitors as as quick as possible yep. maybe knowing maybe not knowing that there's issues with their hardware or software um yeah and it does affect their credibility as a result mm -hmm. but in the meantime this kind of stuff wouldn't have been this would have been unheard of for Apple 3 or 4 years ago right like Stuff well, like this would have been something almost. that is a little um, upsetting, I guess, is the Apple's response, the way they're dealing with some of this. Uh, one of the plaintiffs in this case said that he had issues where his space and caps lock keys were like useless as a result of these failures. So he um, 
took it to get repaired by Apple and they repaired the issue, but the space bar failed again shortly after. And then at that time it was out of warranty. So they sent him a bill for $700 if he wanted the repair to be done. Oh man. So that's like, okay, why did I even buy this thing? Yeah. 700 more dollars for a key. Yeah. Um, the chat's curious about this uh, clicking issue for the MacBook keyboard. So I want to play a, a video on YouTube of someone who's reporting this issue. Oh man. Um, okay. I'm going to try to play at the volume. I apologize for any of the podcast listeners who, if, if they get a bit of loud audio, but hold on, let's, let's check this out. This out. Oh yeah. Do you hear that? This out. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll play that one more time. I don't like that. No. <laughs> if, if you're if you're uh, typing like an essay or if you're coding, do you want to hear that every time you press one key? It sounds like it's it sounds like um like my key sounded like that one time and that was because I was in college and I spilled like a mixed drink on my so, shift yeah, key. Yeah, there was like sugar stuck to the bottom of it. Yeah, and I, cl yeah. I cleaned that off and I went away. But like that shouldn't be something that a keyboard actually does. Let's see something here. I don't like that at all. Um, but yeah, I owners of the MacBook Pros of Butterfly keyboards can join the class action. There's a link that is included in this article at the very bottom inside this Gizmodo article. So if you do own one of these later model MacBooks, then uh, feel free to join this lawsuit. Um, but moving into our next topic, um, makers of smart luggage are going out of business just because airlines have banned the bags with the built-in battery. So I was wondering how long it would take for these bags to get banned. I've seen them around in airports over the the past few months. Uh, and Jeff, you just shared a photo. So let's see what this is. <laughs> just the uh, design of those keys. Oh, the design. Let me copy this. Put it into here. So yeah, these are the new, yeah, these are the scissor designed butterfly mechanism keys that we were talking about. Just, just, um, just for our viewers. Yeah. The shift keys on this are really tough to get out. I've had to pull a few keys off of these older design MacBooks. But this one I haven't worked with yet. Um, how could it make that sound? I don't know. I don't know. I could, <laughs> I could be at this all day. Um, but yeah, so. Just a visualization to go with the conversation. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's good. That's good. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, but um, back to smart luggage. But yeah, did you have you seen any of these before? I've seen them definitely. Like people have talked about it on yeah. I mean, various I, like product review channels and stuff like that. As you know, I am a traveling man. I'm I know that. almost constantly in an airport, um, <laughs> and every time that I check a bag, I am asked, "Is this a smart luggage? Is there a battery in this luggage?" Etc. Etc. And I've seen people face issues with this because it's handled because of the the lithium batteries that are restricted on planes. Uh, they mm -hmm. face similar issues for these smart bags that have 
And it's for things like uh, USB charging ports, things of that nature, um, which seem like they'd be pretty convenient, but unfortunately, due to restrictions on, um, you know, safety in the airport, it's not something that's really plausible. I guess they're, the airports yeah. and TSA are coming down on them now. Um, yeah. So it looks like... I just like, travel with a portable battery. That's all. Yeah, that's all you really have to do. Um, yeah. You can carry that on the airplane and it's yeah. not going to take a lot of room someone should just make luggage and i'm sure this probably already exists that has a like a slot for like a, a various sized battery bank and just have a little escape at the end of the zipper for a cable to come out of or something like that and so, there you that's the same thing essentially so so one thing i'm confused about here is is this I didn't think that the airlines banned you using a smart bag if you were ch carrying it on the plane. Perhaps I was uh, mistaken, but I know that they had issues when you checked them. And the, the point made in this article goes with what I'm thinking is that they're at danger of catching fire in the cargo compartment during flight because of right. lithium batteries. I didn't know that that was the case inside the actual cockpit, but I guess that would make sense that it might do the same thing. Yeah, um, I'm not sure the specifics of that. Um, I guess so that way, maybe if you brought not the a lithium pit, battery and checked the bag, maybe they'd have some issues with that. Yeah, possibly. Um, um, yeah, but um, it, I, I didn't read anything about that. But the, whatever it was, this was enough to drive this company out of business. Um, New York-based Blue Smart Inc., um, which started in 2014. So uh, whatever the case at the airports, this, uh, no pun intended, this... Um, was the end of that company so yeah um it cost them enough so yeah so this is the the federal aviation administration this is answering your question imposed restrictions on spare lithium batteries carried in the cargo area but has left it up to airlines to impose restrictions on larger batteries inside of electronic equipment such as smart bags um and the nation's five biggest airlines American, United, Delta, Southwest, and Alaska all impose bans on checked luggage with built-in batteries. So um, it looks like if you have this and you can fit it into a compartment, then like an overhead, yeah. then they may be okay with that. Which is when you would really want charging on your bag anyway. But um, to answer again someone's question in the Twit Twitch chat, um, why would you want this bag if you're going to check it? Another feature that's really popular with these bags is that it has GPS tracking. So if your bag is lost, um, or even if you want to see how close it is to baggage claim, you could do so using yeah. the feature built into the bag. But that, of course, won't work without the power source. So if you remove the lithium battery from this bag to get it through as a checked bag, you can't do anything that you wanted to with it in the first place. Right. So Yeah. You might just be able to get one of those little Bluetooth like tracker devices like a just tile or one of those tracker devices and just toss it into your luggage and just wait until it comes within range of somebody with a bluetooth signal and then you'll know for sure if your luggage is with you yeah could be like that would be an option just to keep track of your bags like um, low low energy bluetooth or something but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah that's what they are um, that, and that could even fit on like a keychain on the end of your luggage yeah so that way you know for sure that it's yours mm -hmm. um but it's yeah, not as long long range as something like GPS, but yeah. And this is just another one of the victims of the age we live in of technology that's just being made smart for smart's sake. Like it's not actually 
some of the the features in this can be better delegated to dedicated devices like a portable battery bank or in the case of the gps functionality a like a, a bluetooth tracker device so i don't know this so, is something kind that of, i uh, <laughs> kind of on the, the sad side other than this company having to shut down, apparently it's not honoring its warranty and won't respond to customers who want to get a return or a replacement um, for their product, which is unfortunate for those customers, of course. Um, but it also has said that it reached an agreement to sell its designs, um, IP and tech, to a Florida company uh, called Travel Pro, which is um, which pertains to travel and luggage. So. Mm-hmm. The idea lives on. You never know. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they'll eventually honor the warranties of this old IP. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. And it's definitely something that it's just another, like I said, it's just another victim of the times. Right. Um, wrong place, wrong time product. Right. I'm sure something similar, but maybe not as... Um quick to get shut down will come out at some point um yeah. again in the chat we have someone who's saying at least you know arrived in the same city because they have more detailed tracking with their bags yeah um i think that's mostly done by your actual bag tag being scanned when it goes on and comes off mm-hmm. of the air, airline but you know that's a pretty basic way but if someone were to maybe have the same bag as you and takes yours and leaves the airport with it it's going to be kind of tough to track it down i've actually had that happen to me and luckily got mine back but this is a, it was, it was a good idea. I feel like a lot of travelers would have liked to had bags like this, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It's just something else. So yeah, um, we do have one more topic to cover for today. Um, and that topic is going to be very important this week. And it will be something that we're definitely going to be following up on next week as well. Uh, it is the net neutrality vote that is happening on Wednesday. So um, the Senate Democrats are just one vote shy of forcing a vote on the repealed net neutrality regulations under the administration of Ajit Pai um, and the rest of the FCC. So um, this is just another reminder that net neutrality isn't dead yet. Um there's still hope. It's it's less than it used to be, but there is still hope. Um, and there is plenty of websites that you can go onto to support this. Um, I believe also several websites have announced that they'll be protesting net neutrality. Um, there's movements that are being organized all over the web. And I feel that it's our obligation to deliver a message to anyone who may be interested in saving net neutrality as it is, because it's what enables a show like us to hold the same weight in search results and in um, in, in value as any other podcast. Right. Um, so if Comcast decided they didn't like our broadcast, they could cut us on any device, or they could suppress us on any device with a Comcast um, association or what have you. Um, they could impose fast lanes on the internet, um, 
forcing you to pay more. I know I've I've seen articles that Comcast was attempting to fight cord cutters by raising the price of just internet to the point where cable and television and phone were a more viable bundle than just internet on itself. Which that is, is still very much the case. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many people I've said, you have no need for a landline phone anymore. You really don't need a cable box anymore. And they go, well, mm -hmm. it's literally cheaper than getting just internet. And it's true. They mm -hmm. kind of coerce you into doing it. They're trying to st stop the ever-growing wave of cord cutting just because they've been raising the price of uh, these broadband services ever since like 2000. Yeah. Um, and it's at the point where in the United States, it's like inflated to like 300, at least 300% profit margins on them, where you have companies over in Europe that are selling gigabit internet for 20 euros a month. Right. So it's it's at the point where it's i think i think we're getting into this is coming to a head and i think we're going to see a lot come out this week so expect to hear a lot about net neutrality from some of the bigger websites and i'm 100% you're going to see something on facebook or reddit um maybe twitter um and then all these various other platforms maybe youtube as well oh i'm a little concerned after seeing the zuckerberg hearings as to how much our government really does know about <laughs> technology and what this actually means. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of just holding my breath and crossing my fingers on this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it's a bunch of people who can barely operate a television remote. Right. Like we can, in we can only sign so many petitions, but if they don't know what those petitions mean, then. Or if they're paid out by lobbyists. That um, is the very scary side of things because that is... Yeah commonplace in this government unfortunately mm -hmm. and the one way that you as a listener can get involved is by reaching out to your local representative or um, i know some of you uh, may have seen a lot of these signs that are being put up on highway corners and um, on people's lawns for the upcoming primaries and the upcoming elections that are going to be happening in various states um, maybe this is something that you should consider when voting for your next elected representative, because I'm fairly certain that this is going to be a hot button topic for Democratic candidates. Um, it's going to be a big uh, polling point for them. So if you are in support of net neutrality, uh, maybe even some conservative ones, that it's sometimes we forget that there are moderates on both sides. So, right. Uh, especially in the current political environment, it's important to note that there are moderates still. Uh, not everybody is like a raving socialist or a racist um, living in the 1800s. So just another thing, uh, not trying to get too political with it, but just make sure that it, on whatever side of this you fall on, um, that you vote based off of your values. So I don't know. I think that's, important enough and and there's uh, we'll have um this article posted in the show notes as well um and we also have a large number of episodes in in the past where we have talked about and covered net neutrality to mm -hmm. some extent so i encourage everybody to go back and check those out i think we even did an i4o explains on net neutrality yep so I, I encourage anybody to go back and check out that episode. There was some really good information in there and a really good discussion. So yeah. Yeah. Um, um, 
anything you wanted to say? Well, if you want to get into a little specifics, it looks like it would come down to, um, again, not to get as political as you were um, trying to avoid, but it was like, looked at, like an even split down the left and the right, so to speak, where the um, the dem- Democrats are looking to support this um, and fight for net neutrality, whereas the Republicans might do the opposite. Um, one Republican who's a senator from Maine, Susan Collins, has joined the Democrats in this effort. Um, and Senator John McCain is absent at this time. So it's looking like the resolution could fall in the favor of Democrats 50 to 49 as things stand. Um, that is, you know, assuming that if you write to your um, representative and maybe convince them otherwise, it could be more of a margin for a victory for this if you are a supporter of net neutrality as we are so yep what you do matters it does and like like we said there are elections coming up soon so if you feel that your current constituent voted in a way that helped you in something you might want or voted in a way that's not in favor of what you might want then maybe you should consider that come the next elections because um, I'm thinking that we're going to see voter turnout at higher percentages than we've seen over the last several years, yeah. um, just because of how front and center politics has become, at least in the United States. Um, I know several other countries have gone through some similar polarized issues as well. So maybe we'll see some sort of a semi-global movement. Um but yeah, Definitely. so one and can hope. Um, it looks like it's going to be an exciting week for net neutrality. And um, stay tuned for more news next week on that because yeah. we will 100% be talking about the outcome. And if you do want some recap on our previous coverage of net neutrality, we did do an I4O Explains episode net neutrality back on December 20th, 2017, which uh, 214 listeners have downloaded and listen to so if you want to be one of those listeners and make that number go up you can find it on our uh, podbean page and give it a download or look for it yep. on your favorite uh podcasting app 100 percent, yeah um that's the last thing that i had for today in terms of the news is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we end the show nope i'm very happy with what we covered Alrighty. um yeah so If you liked what you heard and you wanted to hear more of it, you can find us on any of our various social media platforms. Um, You can find us at the information that we have above in our show, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Industry40, all spelled out. Um, You can find us on uh, iTunes and Google Play Music as well at Industry 4.0. If you don't use either of those services and you use any other various podcasting apps, We're available on Stitcher and pretty much every other uh, broadcast app, including TuneIn Radio as well. Um, So feel free to search for us on any one of those. The only one that you would not find us on currently, but we're hoping will change in the future, is Spotify. Um, So expect to see news from that. We will 100% let you guys know when we are available on Spotify, but that is a work in progress. Yes, it is. Um, Yeah. but yeah, with that being said, um, this is episode 51, and thank you guys for watching. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.